People want to know that you're confident enough about what you're doing, that you have the audacity to actually put yourself out there. And those are the types of people who you see succeed. Whether you're working a corporate job, side hustling, or building a business, Working Girl Talk is the podcast and community for women who work. I'm your host, Abby Zufeld, and I'm here to help you feel confident walking into the workday and to help you get excited about your career. Now, let's talk. Welcome to Working Girl Talk. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode, episode 99. I can't believe it. Next week is the 100th episode. If you are new to the show, each episode starts out with some headlines that the modern day working woman should know and our fun facts for your office banter and conversation. And we will also be diving into our interview with Gloria Chow after that, where she provides some awesome perspective on public relations and getting featured in the press. Super excited to share that. More on that when we get to it. I always share what outlet the news is from, and then I always share a link to it in the show notes so you can check it out and read it more for yourself. After I share what the news is, I usually offer a perspective on it. CNBC Beyond the Valley reported, workers in the UK are turning down jobs at TikTok. Some workers in the UK are not accepting or applying to jobs at TikTok due to concerns about company culture and demanding hours. Six people actually told CNBC they either pulled out of interviews, turned down job offers, or left the company after learning that TikTok has a 996 culture. I did not know what a 996 culture was, but luckily, CNBC explained what it is. CNBC says, TikTok is owned by Chinese company ByteDance. Some companies in China practice the so-called 996 culture, where employees are required to work from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. six days a week. That's 72 hours a week, which that's a lot of time at TikTok. In the UK, it's actually illegal to work an average of more than 48 hours per week, which I thought was interesting. I didn't know they had a law that actually limited how much you can work, which I have a lot of questions. 72 hours a week is a lot of time. And CNBC did reach out to ByteDance and they did decline to comment on this. So they gave them a chance to kind of share their side of it. But I have never heard of that culture before. Very interesting that that concept exists, that you really have to love where you work, or maybe the money's really good, or there must be some other reason why somebody would spend that much time at work, because that is a lot of time. You only get one day off a week. That is, that's a lot. So let me know what you think about the 996 culture, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. Next story from Endgadget, Google has outlined a new hybrid work structure. So most employees will now be working three days a week in the office and two days wherever they work best. I love this so much. Google, they do some stuff wrong, but they also do some stuff right. And I like this. So Google will offer more opportunities for employees to move around. Actually, by mid-June, it will produce a process that will allow workers to apply to work from a different office. And all employees will have the chance to work up to four weeks away from their assigned office temporarily. So I picture kind of like a sabbatical. You can go work from somewhere else, go live in a different state for four weeks and go work from somewhere else. I really like this. And this past year, 2020, has really showed us that the workplace does not just have to be in that typical office where you're chained to your desk every single day. I think the workplace can be a lot more fluid and 
I really like this. I like three days in the office. Okay, so you still have that stability. You still see everybody two days wherever you work best, which I like that. And I wonder how it will actually be like implemented if people will feel comfortable. And I know it's one thing for a company to say they're doing this, but another thing for employees to actually feel comfortable and it to be adopted and accepted. So I'm curious how it will go, but I really like the idea of this. I think if your job can be done not at the office, I don't think you should have to be there every day. That's just my two cents on that. And for our next two headlines, we have some stock market news, some new IPOs coming up. So Krispy Kreme, the donut maker, has filed for an initial public offering five years after being taken private. So the company actually first went public in 2000, but it had to file for chapter 11 bankruptcy. But now Krispy Kreme is coming back. And I think that it's a lot of it to do with a lot of the trend. There have been a lot, I feel like I talk about companies going, feel like filing their IPO a lot on this podcast. So they're following that trend. They must be in a good place to think that they can do this again. I just thought that was interesting that they've actually tried this before. And the Honest Company, the company which Jessica Alba, the actress, co-founded, priced its IPO on Tuesday earlier this week, slightly above the midpoint of its indicated range, and raised about $412.8 million. Very cool. And the IPO values Honest at $1.44 billion. So we'll see how the Honest Company does. They've had some scrutiny in the past, but they've also come back from it really well. So we'll see how that goes. That is it for our new segment. We are going to dive into our conversation with Gloria Chow. As a former TV producer and U.S. diplomat, and now as a PR expert, Gloria Chow has had a super diverse career path. Hers is a story of following your values and purpose when it comes to your career journey, no matter how uncertain or scary it may seem. In today's episode, we discuss her career journey, the topic of rejection, and how to use that to your advantage, and we dive into all the PR pitching tips to get you, your perspective, your business, your product featured in the media. If you are a frequent listener of Bergen Girl Talk, you know that I love this topic and I think it's so important. I always love hearing different perspectives on it. It's really important and really applicable to most professionals, I would say, if not all professionals. So everyone listening today, if you want to be seen as a thought leader and share your story and insight and value with the world, get ready to take some notes. One quick reminder before we dive into the interview, if you find Gloria's insight valuable today, which I'm sure you will, make sure to check out her masterclass coming up on May 18th. I wanted to do a little plug for that because I found such value in what she said, and I know that her masterclass is going to be super valuable as well. So make sure to check that out on the show notes, and we'll also be sharing that on social. Gloria, welcome to Working Girl Talk. You've actually had some different careers and different journeys on this this whole career path. So to start us off, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like when you were a kid, like, did you ever envision yourself in the PR space? Did you even know what that never, was? Never. I wanted to be a theatrical actress and then I tried to sing. And then I was like, nope, that was the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm on my like fourth career now. So if anyone is listening and is struggling with a big shift, this episode is made for you because that is literally the arc of my entire life is constantly just constant change dramatic change and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that as well 
which I love that because change is very uncomfortable and it's scary, but it's a part of life. So we need all the inspo we can get. <laughs> Going back to your career journey a little bit, you were a U.S. diplomat. You worked as a news producer. Can you kind of walk us through that? Like you're in high school, that college age. How did you navigate that? Like what was your first job in that era of your life? Well, I always say the best way to find out what you want to do is just have a ton of different jobs. So I've probably had over 30 jobs. And I do find that the people who feel the most stuck are the people who probably haven't had a lot of jobs. So there's a little pointer for you. Um, when I was in high school and, and in college, I studied international relations, but I really, really loved storytelling. And I wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. And so the outside world was telling me, you need to get a real job because it's not a real job. And so I did the documentary filmmaking for a little bit and I took Chinese speaking television crews around the world. And my job was to literally secure and book a-list guests for their show. So like they wanted like Oscar winners and Nobel Prize winners, but they had no budget and no publicist. So what did I do? I had to rely on good old Google and I used my cold outreach uh, muscles, which I didn't have that were very weak. And I was able to get like Oliver Stone on camera. I interviewed like Nobel Prize winners and, you know, authors. And so the art of cold outreach and just getting anyone to like respond to you. I think that if it's one thing that I do well is, is that, <laughs> you know, and, and so that's what I incorporate now into my, my world of, of PR coaching, because I still to this day don't have any agency experience and I don't know any journalists. So for those who are listening, it is 1000% possible for you to get on stage and to be invited to tables you think are just way out of reach. You just need the right framework. And we'll definitely talk about that too, because that goes into my CPR method. Yes. I love it. Super interesting. And then how did you get into that diplomat space too? How did that come about? Well, you know, the world told me I needed a real job <laughs> and not, and documentary filmmaking wasn't a real job, even though that was my passion. So, you know, I, I was like, okay, let's, let's go back to grad school. And so I went back to grad school. I applied for a ton of uh, fellowships and scholarships because I couldn't really afford it. And I was multilingual, you know, I, I, I speak many languages. So I did always love international relations and I ended up getting a scholarship from the U.S. State Department. And before I knew it, I was on this path to becoming a bureaucrat, a pre-selection, if you will, um, in the diplomatic service. So I finished my, my uh, grad school uh, in New York here. I studied international relations, uh, po political science, and then I was sworn in, got my top secret security clearance. And then there I was, I was about to have a 25 year old bureaucratic, very comfortable life in front of me, pension, you name it. Uh, but I was deeply misaligned. I was deeply miserable. And I just, I knew I was meant for something else. And it, that, that feeling of knowing that you're not in the career that's right for you, even though everyone on the outside is like, oh my God, you have the best career. I mean, that, it kills me, right? It's a very uncomfortable feeling. I mean, that's, that's kind of where I, I got to where I am now is by making very uncomfortable choices and stepping into the unknown and just hoping that the net will follow and basically rebuilding my life, moving back to my parents' house at age 30, giving up my diplomatic passport and pension and all those things and just having my ego totally crushed. But I think it needed to happen like that for me to be completely authentic in the way I live my life now. I think that really probably resonates with people listening who are kind of in that that dead end job or that that job or career that they're not passionate about. If you can do it, they can do it. So I think that is such a beautiful takeaway. Oprah says, if you do what you love, the money will come. So you just need to look at the pros and cons. If you don't have five kids to feed and you know you have time, then stop acting like your time is 
like the cheapest thing in the world because it's the most expensive thing in the world. I was looking at going on another tour. My next tour was going to be in Brazil. Great place, right? Not a bad place, but three more years meant that I was three more years doing something I didn't love. Mm-hmm. I had to make a decision on whether or not to do that or get back on unemployment because trust me, I've tried. I applied for like a thousand jobs and um, I wasn't able to get anyone because they, they wanted very specific PR experience, which I did not have. Which I think leads us perfectly into the topic of rejection, which I know is something you're passionate about and how that it can really help you grow as a person. And rejection is a part of PR. It's a part of job searching. It's a part of the workplace. It is a part of every, in personal life. Rejection is everywhere, but most of us hate it. So how has rejection shaped you and what advice would you give to somebody who really struggles with that? Like, how do we learn from that? I will say rejection is the single most important factor that has contributed to my success. And and it's not just my success. I've worked with hundreds of entrepreneurs now and the ones that's always succeed and punch above their weight and make the impossible possible is that they're willing to try and just learn and get that um, feedback so they can optimize for next time. Right. A lot of people say, Gloria, you're so seamless on, you know, your podcast, on your webinars. And I was like, you should have seen my first time when I was doing it. It was such a hot mess, right? So you need to practice. And uh, that experience comes from you doing it, scared, doing it imperfectly. And I just happened to be, you know, falling down earlier and harder than anyone. So I've gone back up and now I'm able to do what I do. So failure is the number one thing. And especially for young people, I think just doing little things every day that make you uncomfortable. I'm not saying get in front of a crowd and do public speaking and you don't know what you're talking about, but do something every day that makes you uncomfortable, right? It could be like some people say, take a cold shower, but it could be reach out to someone on LinkedIn that is a little bit out of reach and just and just get comfortable with the fact that rejection's not like life or death. You're gonna be fine. Mm-hmm. The more comfortable you are early on, with those things, you're going to be able to pick up on what actually does work. And you're going to be so powerful in the way that you connect with people and pick up on cues. And, that, and that's how I came up with my method, that you're just going to know exactly how to communicate in a way that's going to get someone to be captivated. But you have to go through those rejections first. Yes, I love it. We all start somewhere. And I think sometimes we take rejection so personally, like, oh, they didn't respond. They hate me. But sometimes it's just like, oh, they didn't see it. Maybe you need to frame it a different way. Or I don't think it's always that personal. Oh my God. It's, it's never, ever personal. And this is from me where I've pitched thousands of times. I've had phones slammed in my face. It's, it's really not personal, right? Everyone just cares about them. But you owe it to yourself to put yourself out there and learn from your rejections. So I, I've now cold called literally from like Googling New York times newsroom, cold called my small business clients onto the New York times just by cold calling. Mm -hmm. And so from the hundreds of times I've done it, I have been able to pick up on patterns of when the editor would stay on the phone a little bit longer or what subject line would make someone respond to my LinkedIn in mail, right? These are skills that are so critical and you, you know, it, you, you need to just get out there and practice that because if you're going to stop at, oh, this person didn't respond to me, then there's no way you're going to be able to get really far in your business, right? Because people want to know that you're confident enough about what you're doing, that you have the audacity to actually put yourself out there. And those are the types of people who you see succeed. I love that. I love that word audacity there because you should be so hyped about your business, your story, whatever you're trying to pitch or sell. Like you should be that excited about it. 
So I love yeah, 100%. And your vibe will attract your tribe. And that's another thing I've learned as I've grown my business. And obviously when you grow your business, you serve people, but then you also get rejected more because right? you're just selling to more people. And it's crazy how the, the saying your vibe attracts your tribe is so true because now people who understand rejection and who are not afraid of rejection and who want to be their own advocates, they're my customers because they don't want to do PR the old way. They don't want to depend on some, you know, some person's friend at an agency and, and you know, rely on the, their golf club buddies. So mm -hmm. um, it, it actually does work. And I've, I've seen it in my business as well with the types of people who connect with me on Instagram. Why should somebody care about PR? I think sometimes people, it's like, oh, PR to now, I don't need that. I think more people need it than they realize. So why should somebody even care about getting PR? Oh, so there's in life, you have sales and positioning, right? You're always selling right now. I'm probably selling to you and your audience right now, right? Communicating something. I want them to take an action. So that's sales. And then you have positioning where people are, are vetting you and you are in the position of authority and trust where people trust your expertise, where they're probably ready to buy from you. So I always say in life, when there's sales and positioning, PR does the positioning for you. So you don't have to do with the hard selling. And, you know, we know that in the saturated marketplace, credibility and authority is probably even more important than just getting so many people like following you or traffic, like traffic alone is not enough. Right. So people know that even people who run ads agencies know that. So how do you build up your capacity as a thought leader, as someone with insight, with experience? You know, it doesn't mean that you have a fancy website. It doesn't mean that you're 30 years into your career. It means that you have the audacity, like I said, the word audacity to put yourself out there to communicate in a way that that you take a stand on something. So like if you are in e-commerce or if you're in fashion, maybe sustainability is important for you. So your pitch might be something about sustainability trends in 2021. And so that shows your point of view because experts have point of view. Now that pitch can result in you being on stage with someone. It could be uh, you speaking at Vogue's like summit, it could be you, you know, be invited to, to do something or do an Instagram live or getting published. It's just about, how you're able to master the value-driven conversation. Yeah, I love that. And having that mindset of value-driven makes it not so limiting because I think sometimes people are like, oh, well, I'm not a business owner or I haven't been doing this for 30 years. Like I don't really deserve PR, but I think that's wrong. Like if you have that unique point of view, like you said, and value, don't you deserve it? Well, I mean, my, my question is, would you buy from someone who doesn't think they do? <laughs> yeah, totally. Right? And look, I've written pitches for candles, for bath robes. There's no such thing as a newsworthy company, but there is such a thing as a newsworthy pitch. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just a matter of how, how you spin it. And the thing about um, having a framework like the CPR method is that it positions you not as a seller because that's like icky, right? Like nobody wants mm -hmm. to be like by myself, but it positions you as a true thought leader. It positions you as someone who understands what's relevant. Mm -hmm. And so that allows you to not really do any of the selling, you know? So whether it's you wanting to invite someone to your event, right? For example, if you are graduating college and you're organizing an event, you want a VIP, a CEO to come to your work event. How do you convince them to give you their time, right? It has to be value-driven for them. Mm -hmm. I love it. It's so true. And can we talk about your CPR framework a little bit more and dive into that? Because I know that my audience is dying to hear about that. Sure. So, you know, I went into PR and, and pitching media without any kind of 
phone book of contacts. So I didn't have a single person that could be like, oh yeah, my friend works at the times. No, it was straight up Google. And I started to notice the patterns of when something would get responded to. And it usually had these three things. Okay. Are you ready for it? CPR stands for credibility, point of view, and relevance. So your pitch needs to have all three things. Now, if you're in college or graduating, you can replace the credibility with connection, and, and, and so what it means is if you're trying to get, you know, um, the CEO of a company to speak at your event, right? The, you might want to mention the fact that you've been to a conference where she spoke or, you know, someone who was a first three connection, like some something that that signals you have some kind of connection to her. Now, the point of view um, in CPR stands for like three bullet points on why that person should give you their time. Right. So it could be that this person has publicly talked about um, how they love diversity and inclusion and they're really an advocate. So it could be something about why this would be like, aligned with that and how they would be speaking directly to their audience. It could be the fact that this is a great audience for them to promote their initiatives or their book tour, or you're providing an audience. And R stands for relevance in CPR. Why is it relevant to right now? Why is it that this person or this journalist need to respond to you right now and not just tuck it away in their inbox for three years later, right? So that's where you want to link it to something that's trending in the media, maybe something that's seasonal. So if you are a career coach, right, it might be something around graduation, because that's kind of a monumental day, right? If you are in e-commerce, it might be a pitch around the holiday season, like Mother's Day gifts, whatever, what have you. If you are like a tax consultant or in a heavy, heavily regulated industry, it might be something to do with the changing policies and laws. So you always want to make sure that is relevant to the bigger discussion that people are having. And so there you have it, CPR. It's on my website, GloriaChowPR.com, if you want more information. But this is the value-driven structure that has allowed me and so many people start conversations with people who are never would give them the time of day. I love it. So helpful already in my head. I'm like, okay, how can I do that? Okay. Like taking <laughs> mentally doing it. That's so cool. I love it. So everyone check that out. And you talked about connecting with these people, whether it's the press or if you want somebody to come speak at your event and however you're going to be using this method, how do you find those people in the first place? Like, so do you have like a hack or a tip to find these relevant editors or whoever you're trying to contact in the press. Yeah, 100%. So I always say to do, to DIY your own PR and not pay in publicists like $10,000 a month, you need two things. You need to know who's covering your story. So that's the staff writers, the contributing editors, the, the reporters. And honey, it's not the editor-in-chief because they're busy and they're doing <laughs> their own book tours, right? So do not send a pitch to editor-in-chief at Vogue.com. Like who are the people or specifically assigned to that desk. So that's number one. You want to know their, you know, email, their LinkedIn, their Twitter, their Instagram, because everyone's at home right now. We're not networking with people at fancy schmancy events. So your chances of getting into their inbox is just the same as the next person, right? So now is the time. So that's, that's number one is knowing how to connect with them because it is a relationship you're trying to build. Number two is you need to know what your pitch is. Right. What is your value driven approach? So I've given you that with the CPR angle. So, for example, um, I worked with someone who is trying to be like a career coach for people who are pivoting to, um, you know, doing virtual job interviews. Right. No one's really done this before. This is because of the pandemic. And so the pitch that I wrote for her was three ways to ace your first virtual interview and how there's an uneven playing field between people who are 45 and older, not super used to talking on video and people who are younger millennials who are super great on video. 
And so that creates a learning gap. And so the pitch was actually three ways to close this gap. And that was the pitch that actually got her onto Fast Company. And she's not even launched yet. Like it was just an idea, you know, so the stuff works. That is so cool. So it's kind of just getting creative, following that method. And I feel like the magic just happens. So because you do this a lot, you've had a lot of experience. Do you have any recommendations or something you've noticed like a trend on like, when is the best day or time to send a pitch? Yeah. I mean, I, I think if you're doing email, I would think Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, because Monday they're catching up and Friday they might be gone. Right. You probably want to send it from like 8 a.m. to noon. Um, But what's even more important is that now we live in the world of technology and you can install an email tracking device. And oh my God, I wish I had this when I was pitching because I was just sending emails and I had no idea where they were going. Now you have such simple software that tells you whether or not your email is being open. So that gives you the confidence to pitch again and again and again. So definitely install a mail tracking device. Um, Another thing is do not just send an email pitch. You also want to follow up on social media because it's a relationship, right? So so you might be sending an email on a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, but I always tell my PR starter pack members, uh, which is my like DIY PR um, digital vault, is that after you send the email, I want you to follow up on two social media platforms. So if you're in fashion or retail, Instagram might be one of them, right? Because a lot of them are on there. If you're in more of like the, like, more serious, like, you know, um, consulting or B2B, it might be LinkedIn because a lot of the top journalists are there. So use social media, use the fact that we're at home because now has never been, it has never been easier to get onto their radar and you can follow hashtags. So you can follow hashtags and then you can start to see who are the writers and journalists who are writing about that hashtag, right? You can also install a Google news alerts. So for anyone multitasking, come back to me. This is a great tip is if you install a Google news alert, Google will ping you with all the different articles and publications that are coming out every day on your keyword. So your keyword might be personal growth, female empowerment, whatever it is, right? And every day you'll get notification of all these articles being published. And that does two things. One, it trains your mind to think in terms of a newsworthy pitch because you'll be able to see the subject lines. Number two is you can start to copy and paste the name of the editor who wrote it into a new Excel spreadsheet. So boom, there you have it. I love it. And we love some spreadsheet action too. Got to keep it all organized so you can keep track of everything. Such a great tip. What would you say to somebody who says to you after you say that, oh, but I don't want to be salesy? Because I think sometimes people get a little fearful following up. What would you say to them if they say that to you? I, again, I, I, I want to know, do you really want to make an impact? If the answer is yes, you're no longer selling, you're serving. Number two, do you have like experience that other people can benefit from? If the answer is yes, then you should be following up. I, I think if you take a look, it's a human nature thing, right? Because our, our, our lizard brain tells us danger, danger, rejection. So we don't even end up pressing send. But if you can rewire your brain into thinking there are people out there that can benefit from my product or service in its current imperfect state, right? People can benefit from it. Just try to focus on that. And that is the energy that I want you to take throughout all aspects of your life. That's how a lot of the clients I work with in their 20s who don't even have an idea and they're able to pitch and get onto like Allure and Vogue and Well and Good because they really believe it for themselves that they are a thought leader, that they do have. And, and, it, and that's, the, that's just an energetic universe thing, right? When you put it out there and you follow up, you're telling the universe, this is important. 
you're telling the journalist, this is not a sales pitch. These are important insights and trends that people want to know about. I'm just a conduit information. It's not coming from me. It's this audience group that wants to hear more about it, right? So for example, I wrote a pitch for a 26 year old. She was crowdfunding for a gym during COVID. So not only does she not have a physical space, she didn't have investors. It was literally an idea, mm-hmm. but what does she have? She had experience because she was one of the only black Equinox trainers. And there was a big talk about you know, um, wellness and inclusion and, and, and how the wellness industry can basically, you know, bridge the gap between diversity and inclusion. So for the pitch that we wrote for her, we highlighted her experience, right? In three ways that the gym industry, when they come back, they can be like more inclined to really bridge this gap and be truly inclusive. She took that pitch, followed up in the DMs, like I told her, she ended up getting on, um, uh, she got on Well and Good, Bustle, Pop Sugar, Time, Club Industry, um, Shape, Allure within just like two months. Amazing. And then she won a $25,000 grant from, from American Express. So it, it's just that belief that you are ready because she didn't even have a website. It was like click to get on the wait list, <laughs> right? So look, I, I work with clients who have $3 million in startup funding. And I work with clients like her who's crowdfunding. And I tell mm-hmm. them the same methods, but the results are different. Why? Because they truly believe themselves and the impact that they're making. I love that. So cool. And for that follow-up, like say you're going to follow up on social media and follow that. Do you reference that email? Like, Hey, I sent you an email just following up. Like how does that little social follow-up go? 100%. And for every time I write a pitch for someone, I always include the email and the DM because the follow-up is probably 90% of, of, of the importance, right? It's not just an email. So for your email, I have, a, I have a structure and on every masterclass, I actually show you the pitch. It's usually like two or three sentences explaining the context, three bullet points and conclusion. It's very concise because remember, it takes more confidence to communicate something in a shorter amount of time than to overstuff it because you're insecure. You're like, oh, I need to say everything, right? Yes. So just calm down there. It's, it's just a pitch. <laughs> it's not your autobiography. And then when, I, when you follow up on the DM, you, that's doing two things because one, you're telling them to open their email and two, you're building a connection with them on the DMs. So it does two things. And in the DMs, you basically have a shortened abridged version of the email, which is like, Hey, like, because this is happening, I'm noticing these three trends and this is why it matters for your audience. And then another sentence, I sent you an email on Tuesday titled three ways millennials can like be debt-free, whatever, right? Let me know if you have not received it. So it's kind of a call to action. Mm-hmm. So, and, and here's the energetic part of mindset is that you're never asking to be interviewed. You're not like, oh, I have this product. Can you please consider it? No, like you're, you already know that your product is great because you're solving a problem. It's just, when do you want to set up a time? Let me know when is a great time to chat. That is how I write all of my pitches. That is the energy and the confidence that we need to convey for a journalist to be like, Yes, this is a fit or not. This is a fit, but you're never asking to be interviewed. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that confidence. That is such a, a nice little mindset tweak that I think probably makes such a huge difference. That's super cool. So we are almost out of time. Time is flying by like crazy, but one last question for you before we head into the working girl talk top 10 round. If you could give advice to your younger self, so that college age Gloria on her career path, what would you tell college age Gloria? That everything is happening for a reason <laughs> and, and trust in the, the brokenness or the lost feeling, because I, I cannot tell you like now looking back at my career, 
everything has gotten me to where I am today. And the fact that I'm able to communicate it so easily toward to you is because I am someone that has gone through so many rejections. I mean, at one point, you know, when I graduated, you know, I had a, a master's from Columbia and I, you know, had a pension. I was a US diplomat. When I quit that and I moved back home, I was just desperate to get any job, right? So I started doing small jobs. I think I applied for like an executive assistant role. And the lady literally called me and she was like, is this Gloria? And I was like, yes. She's like, wait, the one who has an Ivy League master's and like was a US diplomat. And I was like, yes. She's like, why are you applying for this job? And that was a sign from the universe that it really came a long way because at that point it was just ego. Mm -hmm. And once you like stop worrying about what this looks like to other people, you start to get so clear on the things that you want to do and how you want to grow your business. Because that's one thing you need more than anything is, is your vision, right? Like as entrepreneurs, you need to have a vision. You cannot just rinse and repeat what other people are doing. Like I would be nowhere if it wasn't for the fact that I listen to myself and that I don't agree with what a lot of people are doing. And, and you know what they say, it's like people can smell you from a distance if you're just copying what other people are doing, right? So the most important thing you have is your story, is your authenticity. So do not rinse and repeat what other people are doing because that is like the fastest way to failure, I think, at this point. People resonate with me because of my failure story and because I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed to say it, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that perfect way to end that part of the show, because I think that that message right there, that is all about getting PR and getting noticed your unique perspective, your story. Love it. So we are going to head into the working girl talk top 10, 10 quick questions to help the audience get to know you a little better. So are you ready? Yes. Ready. (laughs) Awesome. Okay. First one, my first job ever. I think it was got to be babysitting or something. (laughs) Although I wasn't very good at it. (laughs) An essential part of my day. Oh, essential part of my day is getting on the couch and cuddling with my dog. It's therapy. Love it. I'm obsessed with blank right now. Whatever you're obsessed with, a show, a food, a product. I'm obsessed with keeping my plants alive because I feel like that's some true hallmark of an adult and I haven't quite gotten there yet. I even kill my cactuses. (laughs) (laughs) a girl boss that I look up to. Oh my God. So many. I, I do love Oprah, but I also love Karen Khan from my fun woman. I think she's built an incredible platform for women who are fundraising. And so if you haven't checked out I fun woman, definitely do check them out because they're doing incredible things for women. And I'm actually one of the PR PR mentors there as well. And I, I do my PR masterclass. I love it. I fun woman is awesome. And next one, I'm currently listening to, so this could be like a song you like right now or a podcast. Ooh, I'm listening to so many podcasts, including yours, because I, I want to start my own podcast, but oh my God, there's so many. I, I've been listening a lot to Rick Mulready's podcast, The Art of Online Business. And I was actually just on his podcast as well, which was like a big, huge achievement for me. So um, if you are thinking of having an online business and the ins and outs of that, I think he takes a very holistic approach to it. Love it. Great recommendation. I'm grateful for blank. I'm grateful for making the decisions to change and to step into the unknown earlier so that I could build the business and life that I love now. I have blank at my desk always. I have gum at my desk and this essential lavender oil almost always. Love it. Love some lavender. We need that. The good vibes. (laughs) I feel most confident when... I feel most confident when I am speaking authentically to people like you about my failures, because I've learned that they only make me more human and people actually resonate with you way more. 
It's so true. No one's perfect. So I think that it's nice when it's like, oh yeah, that's a real person. <laughs> proudest moment in your career so far? Oh, wow. Proudest moment is when I wake up and I get messages from people I've never even met. And they say, Gloria, your CPR method, your masterclass has helped me a tiny little business get into Australian Vogue. It's gotten me onto BuzzFeed. It's made my family realize it's not just a side hustle and that I actually can do this. And that like nothing makes me happier than making people feel more seen, heard, and valued. I love it. So beautiful. And last one, number 10, I am inspired by... I'm honestly inspired by the women who are not only doing their own business, but they have kids and a family and the fact that they can still get up every day and brush their hair and still like have time for that. Like, I just don't know how to do it because I can barely take care of myself. So <laughs> props to all those, all those amazing moms out there. I love it. So good. You, you survived the working girl talk top 10. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. There's one gift I would love to give your audience, which is yes. that, um, I think podcasts are so, so powerful, right? It's such an authentic way for people to connect. And I think everyone deserves to be on a podcast to share their story. And so I have put together a podcast roadmap and a fill in the blank pitching template. It's the exact template that from my podcast pitch, I just took out the words that you can use to get onto, I mean, I've gotten to, onto 30 pod plus podcasts now in the last six months. I'm giving it to you for free. It has a video training and you can literally go on my website or DM me podcast and I will send that to you right away. So I'm at Gloria Chow PR or you can find me on all the, all the places at Gloria Chow PR, that's C-H-O-U and that is my gift to your audience. I love that. We love a gift. That is so amazing. Awesome. And then you left your handles. That was the last thing I was going to ask you. Thank you so much, Gloria. This was so much fun. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Gloria and make sure to go check out her masterclass, sign up for that. She does not do these very often and I wanted to make sure you knew about it so you can get signed up for that. So make sure to check that out in the show notes. At the end of every episode of Working Girl Talk, I do a Friday favorite. So this is something that I liked that week that I wanna share with you to just spread the happiness and positivity. So this week's Friday favorite is actually a song. It's an old song actually, but I just discovered the song called Bacon. Yes, that is correct. It's called Bacon by Nick Jonas. I know lots going on here. It is so catchy. It's actually a great song. It's like been my hype up, like my walk up song this week. Like, okay, I can do this. Like I can take all the work day, listen to the song, throw some bacon on it. Very strange, but it's so catchy. So if you listen to it or if you like it, let me know on social what you think. Thank you so much for listening to Working Girl Talk. If anything resonated with you today, make sure to snap a screenshot of you listening to the episode right now. Share it to your Instagram story and let me know what you thought of the episode and make sure to tag Gloria as well. And if you haven't yet, please leave a five-star review for Working Girl Talk and leave a little note on what you think of the show. Always love to hear what you have to say. And that helps the podcast get seen by more working women. Thank you so much. I hope you have a wonderful work day. 